This is the podcast for September 10th, 2010. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from Matt Taibbi's slush pile, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. I spelled Taibi correctly the first time, yeah, so I'm that's just the problem. wrong. See, that you know to do that. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you know what a slush pile I is. I do. Taibi. Did you laugh? It, it did make me laugh. It's, it's, but you know, that's sort of Mensa humor. Yes. Well, that's that, know, that's our base. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And we're going to talk about how Obama gets his groove back. Yeah, he's got like a month and a half, right? <laughs> Six weeks. That's it. Six weeks. <laughs> Six weeks to get your groove back, dude. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And and. Some of the pundits on the left wing, what passes for left wing cable news, <laughs> yeah. seem to feel that he is getting his groove back in terms of big crowds, big speeches. Uh, he actually called out Boehner by name in Cleveland. I guess he got those shake weights we sent him. <laughs> yes, right. Shake weight, shake weight. <laughs> but isn't that kind of palinizing Obama? Put him, putting crowd? him in front of a big crowd and. Yeah, it's called campaigning. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. You're right. It's, You're right. It's it's he's he's really you know George Bush used to stand in front of used to use the military and, and Dick Cheney especially used to use the military as props. Yeah, yeah. Every time he had to give a speech about anything, uh, you know, the, of national security importance, he'd he'd do it in front of the troops or he'd visit them and he'd stand in front of them and he'd talk in somber tones about America and freedom and the mm-hmm. cost of this and that. You know, he used an entire aircraft carrier to announce the end of a war that wasn't over. Right, um, right. And presidents do that. You remember uh, Ronald Reagan uh, gave at least one famous speech with the Statue of Liberty in the background. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, and the Berlin uh, Wall behind him. Yeah. You know. What's stagecraft? You know, this is – this is this, and, and not to be you know, picking on Republicans only, one of the reasons Kennedy was so effective yeah. is in, in some people's opinion, mine included, is he was raised Catholic. Yeah. And he knew, he knew about ceremony and pomp and symbolism, the stagecraft of governance. Mm-hmm. He understood nonverbal s- communication in a Yes. Absolutely. In a and public setting. Right. And how and why it was important to dress a certain way mm-hmm. and, you know, enter rooms and have a certain kind of setting. Down to Mayor Richie Daly. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen a Richard Daly press conference, and he's given you know four thousand of them in the last few years, you'll always see behind him a very carefully selected group of people. Yeah, yeah. In African American, there'll be a woman, there'll be a, another woman, there'll be a, a younger white guy, and if it's a cop, there'll be a cop on one side and a fireman on the other, mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Depend- he makes sure that everybody has mm-hmm. their piece of the pie up there. Right. And the the people that Barack Obama is going to be talking to in the next six weeks mm-hmm. are his base. Yep. You know, he suddenly remembered the Democratic base, which is awful nice, <laughs> and and working people. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he has, there's no reason for him to talk to Republicans anymore. Republicans have declared their eternal opposition to everything he says and does, mm-hmm. and did it did that two years ago. Did it before he was inaugurated. Mm-hmm. Um, so putting him in front of a crowd. Is you know is like is like putting Babe Ruth behind the plate. Yeah, yeah. You know, putting yeah. you know lacing gloves up on Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Of course you want to do that. That's what he's really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, he's good at a lot of other things too. But this is the thing that will drive you know enthusiasm up. Yeah. And I think people- I think we have to really assume that this midterm election is about him. It is. Is there any question it is. that it isn't? I mean, no. So. Well, 
each you know elections you know elections are all unique that the the idea that all politics is local about is yeah. is in fact true mm-hmm. um, people are going to vote for or against Alexis Nullius or Mark Kirk or whoever probably based on local issues yeah but you know when it comes to the issues those people are running on a lot of them are going to be running on a national agenda right and the national agenda they're going to be running on, the subtext of that is going to be, do you do you or do you not trust the Kenyan usurper? Yeah, yeah. And that's really the subtext. Is it a refer- it's a referendum on whether you whether you support the president or not. And, and this is where it, it becomes really important, I think, for Obama to remind people who he is. Yeah. Which is really hard to do when people like Haley Barber <laughs> open <laughs> their mouth. Helpful. I mean yeah. – and just say, oh, we really don't know him, you know. And as one of my colleagues at Crooks and Liar said, you know, doesn't he know how to read? Does Haley Barber know how to read? Because really, that's that's such an illiterate question. Well, because Barack Obama has written not one but two autobiographies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to know who he is, there's a couple of books you can consult. Yeah. Um, and a fairly well documented well, life. There's at- several other people that have written about him. <laughs> Yeah. Just a few, yeah. And who he is, and and well, but, but you you had a really good point on your blog yesterday about an NPR story. Why don't you share that? Sure. It, there was a I forget the program, but you can look it up at driftglass.blogspot.com. <laughs> um, it was it was on NPR yesterday, Talk of the Nation, I think. It was the midday show, and it was a a, a couple of guys who'd done a study, and they were talking about cognitive, you know, your cognitive relationship to. Issues and it really was political. It was explicitly political, and it, it it was there was some hemming and hawing about liberals do it and conservatives do it. But the upshot was, you know, most of the crap that you and I and a lot of liberals have been screaming about for years about for conservatives facts just stopped mattering mm-hmm. years ago. There's yeah. just no way to reach them because they've decided the ocean of lies in which they swim is perfectly okay with them. Yeah. So, for instance, Barack Obama can be a stooge to Reverend Wright and a Kenyan. And a, and, a, and a Muslim. And a Muslim, and, right. uh, and an atheist what? at the same time. And, all at the same what, time. Exactly. And, yeah. and what uh, John Stewart, you know, was doing ten weeks after Obama was elected. You know, not only is Barack Obama a you know an iron-fisted tyrant who will crush all opposition, but he's also a pussy who yeah. will give Europe whatever it wants. Right. You know, the, the the ability to hold these multiple conflicting opinions, all of which are wrong. Yeah. Is sort of the uh, a hallmark of being a conservative, being a completely brainwashed stooge. And what these these the study points out is that yeah, that's pretty much true. Mm-hmm. That once people lock onto an opinion, especially people on the right, they don't give it up. The more you try to confront them with facts and point out the fact that they're wrong, the more you drive them into the corner. Yep. But the they, more you tell them stuff in. that makes them feel yeah, they dig in. They'll relapse. This is my opinion. They'll relapse into either both sides do it. Mm-hmm. Or well, that's just that's that's what a typical liberal would say, <laughs> and then they walk away yeah. um, because they don't want to find out how wrong they are. Right, and right. the flip side is, the more you tell them, you know, what they want to hear, they'll make them feel good about themselves. The more they tend to believe you. Yeah. Um, and they were really clear. It's the big media elites. They actually use the word media elites yeah. um, who are driving this, yeah. and the people with the big megaphones that are driving this. And until consequences until it becomes you know uh and and they said it it, it's because there's money involved yeah yeah there's big money in lying to to idiots telling and and there's no consequence in terms of getting fired and losing money 
Losing your no. job over lying. No one, no one gets fired in the media for in you lying. know for fo- in Fox at Fox no. News for lying. No one does. And they, and they do it every day. And yep. and you know you get that 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 smirk from a conservative when you point out the fact that someone's lying, and they just like laugh it off. Like yeah. and, and the same person will you know shit themselves and then set it on fire, ran in circles, you know, screaming for God's vengeance mm-hmm. over Dan Rather. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, what, 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 wait, wait a minute. You know, this guy got a, a fact wrong. He didn't lie about the story, but he got a fact wrong, and he lost his job. Yeah. Well, so, and I, I asked the question a couple of years ago on my blog, why do Vitter, Ensign, and Sanford, Mark Sanford, still have mm-hmm. their jobs? Yep. And yet... And they still do. And they still year, do. All later, three of do. them mm-hmm. still have their jobs. Mm-hmm. And it's it really is, there is a depth below them of a million other conservative politicians who are willing to play the family values card right after them who haven't let it out of their pants yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it doesn't matter that they're going to stay there and spout conservative values because if they don't, someone else will. Sure. And there's this re- as you say there's this cognitive dissonance of you say you're a family values republican and you believe in family values and Ensign, yes. Ensign was a promise keeper. He was one yeah. of the original promise keepers. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know. And we and don't, you know, we don't even apparently punish people for that. Well, all he has to do is go take a quick shower in the, in the lamb's blood and yeah. he's fine. Yeah. He's yeah. saved. You know, yeah. he's one of us. He's white. He's Christian. He's male. He's conservative. And, and, you know, a little light, you know, a little light scrubbing with, uh, with the salvific blood of Christ and all is forgiven. Yeah. And you can go right back to, you know, fucking prostitutes again. Yeah. Or and or bribing thing, your, your staff to be yeah, quiet about staff. screwing your wife, which is en- Ensign's problem isn't just sex. It's money, big money. Right. right. He bribed his he bribed her husband. Yeah. Um and, and so the question then is and this is something we get locked into, not not you and I, but liberals generally get locked into is this sort of spluttering disbelief that anyone could be this completely fucking hypocritical yeah, and stupid. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're we're sort of programmed to keep saying, well, how could you possibly believe dot dot dot? How could you possibly believe that when counterposed with this? And the point of the, well, both sides you know, do it. I mean, well, the point of the discussion <laughs> is that that having the, talking that way to conservatives is pointless. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have no interest in facts. Facts do not matter to them. Now, the people on the top know better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Haley Barber that, knows better. I mean, this sure, is the thing. He, he really does. But he knows his base. Yeah, he knows what works. And he knows yeah. that whatever whatever crap dribbles out of his mouth, they're going to believe because mm-hmm. they're basically idiots. The the guy who ran the American Spectator magazine, David Brock, who later you know flipped. Oh, yeah. Became, yeah. There's a, a wonderful interview with him from a British interview. He was in charge of the Arkansas Project. He right. was in charge of slandering Bill Clinton. Remember, this goes way, yeah. way back. This isn't a recent development. No. These people have been the, the core of the Republican Party for most of my adult life. Yeah. Ginning up stories about Bill Clinton being a murderer and an assassin and, you know, a drug dealer. And and the question was, well, weren't these stories false? He, he says, well, of course they were. Yeah. You know, none of this and was true. Cared. None of this was true. And, yeah. he, and he said, well, didn't the people know that? And he said, they didn't care. Yeah. They didn't care. They were working. They were politically effective. Who cares if they were true or not? Mm-hmm. And that secret sin of the Republican Party has become the the mantra of the Republican Party. You know, when, and, and when, as we have said before, and maybe we are repeating ourselves far too much in this podcast, but really the only uh, weapon against that is mm-hmm. 
to point out how ridiculous they are. Absolutely. And I want to bring make this really current. It's what John Stewart said just the other night about Jan Brewer. Yes. You know, Jan, and and so the headless wonderful. bodies in the desert. And, you know, <laughs> she's been through the desert with a, a horse with no head or yes, a, corpse, yes. a, corpse a corpse with, with no, no name. name rather. A corpse with no name. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. I sold that one to, uh, <laughs> to Liz, Liz Winstead. Winstead. We love her. Okay. Yes, I now have, I'm a professional joke writer, and I sold that one to Liz Winstead. <laughs> For the price of pimping this show. As a For the price of, of pimping this show on Twitter, we thank you, Liz Winstead. Thank you, Liz Winstead. <laughs> but John Stewart said, you know, he, he spent, you know, five, six minutes, you know, pretty thoroughly ridiculing him, as only John Stewart can, or her, as only John Stewart can. But at the end of that, he said, you know what the funny part is? She's still crushing her up. Yeah. And it's yeah. because, let's face it, you know, Arizona well, and she vote. sounded on, on that debate like she was on drugs herself. And before and after. It wasn't mm-hmm. one moment of mm-hmm. going up in front of the microphone, which I've done two or three times. You yep. know, just a, had a brain fart and lost all my notes in oh, my yeah. head. Yeah. And, you know, there's ways to deal with that. But she sounded like an idiot before, during, and after. And I'm a really just like a completely stoned off her ass, you know, lunatic. Yep. And it doesn't matter. If you're an Arizona Republican voter, you are bulletproof to facts. You know, you are you are deep inside John McCain's ass crack and nothing is going to change your mind. So getting back to the point, what do you do about people like that? And the only thing you can do is make it so that there are consequences to the people who pander to these people. Yep. And the way you do that is by ridiculing them, by dragging them out in the light of day and humiliating them in public, calling them out in public, which is what Barack Obama has begun to do. Yes, he has. And, and there's a wonderful article we want to point our listeners to uh, at sfgate.com. You can search mm-hmm. for it uh, that Mark Moford, who's one of my favorite writers, mm-hmm. uh, wrote called Burn a Bible, Save a Kitten. <laughs> Morford, M-O-R-F-O-R-D. And he's talking about where are the crazy liberal protesters? Why aren't mm-hmm. we dumping Astroglide on Fox News headquarters? <laughs> you know, why aren't we out there spiking spiking the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sing-along with ecstasy? Why aren't we, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah baby. And I, I've, I've argued for a long time that streaking at Tea Party rallies is, you know, I can't run very fast since I broke my ankle a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, just... Getting back into the yippy motif of just, mm-hmm. aren't these people absurd? And so let's well, be absurd. I'd rather go Mary Prankster. Mary yeah. Prankster, absolutely. The the, the, uh, the non the non lethal, non destructive, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. but definitely oh, yeah. inspired kind of and and yeah, because you know part of the strategy has to be a sober recitation of all of the failings of the Republican Party, mm-hmm. the problems that. They have presented us with, and you know, two visions of America. Here's here's the one where rich corporations get everything, and here's you know, and there's one for everybody else. But part of it has to be protesting, and I really think the the difference is that in the '60s, and well, let's take it all the way back to civil rights. In the '50s and '60s, the consequ the, the long term consequences of going to jail for your beliefs, mm-hmm. even briefly, mm-hmm. or of protesting, mm-hmm. were you know were consequential but they weren't you know you could bounce back from that yep you go to jail now and your credit rating is destroyed yeah uh you go to jail now and nobody's going to hire you yeah Uh, believe me i know there are having uh seen people on job interviews many times you get to the part where have you been arrested and convicted of anything in the last five years the answer is yes sorry nobody wants to hire you yeah 
Um, yeah. Nobody ever asked anybody to pee in a cup in the 60s or 70s. Right, right. To get a job. Right, right. Um, now it's considered de rigueur. Mm-hmm, That's just, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to get a job anywhere, you have yep. to pass a drug test. And Tom Hartman on his radio show talks about this. You know, in the 70s, he could go to school, get a degree, and working part time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You could start a business, fail. And get back up again, dust yourself off, and start over again. Protesting is sort of the same thing. Yeah. You can get out. You can you can protest. This is part of the reason, you know, part of the very serious reason why I'm still pseudonymous is yeah. there are real consequences that obtain that you know attach to being vocal. Yeah. And real. Well, but I, you know, I wonder about that, Driftglass, because Abby yes, I mean, Hoffman was, I suppose, and a lot of a lot of the hippie leadership were trust fund babies. I don't mm-hmm. know about Abby Hoffman, but he went to a good school mm-hmm. and I assume had parental support at that time. But he but he wore, you know, a rope for a belt and mm-hmm. uh, cut up tires for shoes and didn't bathe <laughs> regularly. That's, that's true. A lot of the hippies didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Lived in in VW vans and I mean I still when I, when I was out in Washington state 7 years ago Mm-hmm. There were people living in VW vans. You know, yeah. there are shed boys in uh, mm-hmm. northwestern Washington who live in sheds in the summer and with their girlfriends in the winter time. Yes, you know? and, if you, and, and I'll tell you, Blue Gal, if 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 you are an unattached right male, unattached male, eighteen to twenty, you can do that. Well, and they're um, older than that. There's a lot of people who are, are tuned in, turned on, turned on, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. dropouts of society mm-hmm. who've done that, who've still done that. And maybe we've become too, you know, I really, I really think cable bills and cell phone bills mm-hmm. have destroyed protest in America because <laughs> you have to be able to have a credit score to have a credit card so mm-hmm. that you can charge your cell phone bill every month. And have an iPhone. Yes. And this addiction to technology. Neither one of which I have. Well, I know you don't have cable or a cell phone. I know. I know. I'm. I'm impressed. So you really are that. You're. You're that dropout outlier hippie kind of guy. No, I'm really not. (laughs) I I, I, I believe in applying the proper level of technology to problems, and there's. There's no problem to solve with a cell phone that you have, yeah. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Going to jail ain't what it used to be. Honestly. Yet apparently you can dress up like Obama with devil's horns. And carry an AK-47. And still have a job. Where do – a lot of them are retired. A lot of the teabaggers are retired. So they, you know, they really have no investment in – Yeah. Or they're, you know – Or they're they're, they're Dick Army. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so you know, it really doesn't matter. Publicans, are you a millionaire or a mm-hmm. chump? You yeah. know, which, which, which one are, which are one? you? Yeah. <laughs> There's really yeah. no third category. That's right. But it, it is, it's fascinating to watch. You know, this, is, this is about watching your culture change in front of you. It's, yeah. a, it's actually yeah. about being the writer. Writers mm-hmm. have to be outsiders looking in. Right. And there was a time when you could live in America without a credit card. Yeah. yeah. And years ago, when I finally broke down and got one credit card, it was because it was made very clear to me by my employer wow. and by my culture that I was not going to be allowed to work anymore or drive anymore. You couldn't or go travel, anywhere. right? You couldn't travel on business without a credit card. Absolutely, Period. you can't. Period. Yeah. Here's a here's a plastic piece of card that doesn't exist anywhere in the Constitution that you must own to live in America. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and have a job. You know, yeah. I, I have no particular desire to become a shed boy at this right, point. Right. 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 But I would like to, you know, be able to consequentially change my culture, move in 
that direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And right now, it, people look at me like I'm some kind of freak with, without a cell phone. It's yeah. just, and what's your cell? And what's your cell? And what's your cell? Well, it's changed. You know, it's, it's a perfectly fine piece of technology. I have no trouble, you know, a, adapting right. to carrying one around with me. But the dependence mm-hmm. that have grown up around using this and the way it changes human interaction and encounters yeah. Yeah. and scheduling yep. and everything you yep. have to be you have to be attached all the time right. is ridiculous to me. Yep. And I have stood outside of that and watched it happen and just in horror. Mm-hmm. M- remember, I'm talking about the the proper application of technology, not being a luddite. Well, and but, this has happened in the past four years, really, when you yes. think about it. Not not ten years. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, you know, cell phones 2000, were still, really, cell phones were kind of new. They were still fairly rare, mm-hmm. and they still were fairly impressive when you whipped one out. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's become commonplace, and it's yeah. become but it's become the new normal. Mm-hmm. And and I, uh, but you know, getting back to protesting. But that's what, I, yeah. That, let's get back to that. <clears throat> there was a broad, you know, there was a, a very big, broad, fairly porous middle class. Yeah. Uh, what what um, I think Paul Krugman called the Great Compression. Mm-hmm. After the Great Depression, there was the Great Compression, which is where, you know, the, the wealthy, the middle class, and the, and the poor or lower middle class all came within range of each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was possible to, to upward social mobility uh, or horizontal mobility was possible, and you could have a home on one income. Yeah, you could raise yeah. a family on one income. Yeah, you could go to school. Without going into debt for twenty years. Yep, and part um, of that is a factor of cheap oil, which you know. Cheap oil, we're, absolutely. We're going cheap to have oil, we're going oil. to have to sacrifice a lot of our standard mm-hmm. of living because we cannot no longer base it on fossil fuels, and that there is a real environmental argument there's, to that. And ab- it's absolutely true. Yeah, uh, but it's also I mean, an education is is, is a ineffable thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't depend on really bricks and mortar. It does depend on education, but it doesn't depend on bricks and mortar. The price of education has gone up because educational institutions have or the gatekeeper. Have, yeah, they have the a license to print money. Yep. Yep. And the and the entree into that middle class that everybody would like to be in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is an education. And you well, can charge whatever the market will bear for that now. I found it really pleasantly surprising at the end of the segment on Obama's speech in Cleveland where he was talking about himself and he was talking about uh, his his grandfather went to college on the GI Bill and you know he had student loans and so on and so forth. Yeah. That uh, Chris Matthews, Howard Feynman, and Bob Shrum were all on it. You know, they're all kind of Democrat liberal types. But all of them said – it talked about how they got to go to college. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, Peace Corps bill or, you know, uh, Chris Matthews is in the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he And he went on some student loan grant and Howard Feynman's dad went on GI Bill and Chris Matthews' dad was on GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Bob yeah. Shrum was on, he said, I went on a Pell Grant, combination of Pell Grants and such and such. And, and you realize, wow, you know, these People that are speaking to us as the voice of the media, uh-huh. uh, and it'd be, the, it would be elites. really interesting to research how – I don't know if you could ever find out – how did Bill O'Reilly go through college? Because he's always mm-hmm. talking about his, his, you know, he came from the streets of Jersey and such, you know, poor working class family, blah, 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 blah. How did he pay for college? You know, did he have a federal money? I would be really uh, interesting to know about that. You well, know. and and and, the, and 
whether he did or not, um, that would be interesting. Yeah. It was it was affordable. Yeah, and it was affordable. You know, it cost it, was, it cost two thousand dollars, you know, to go to college <laughs> instead yeah, of a hundred. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a hundred plus 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 plus. Yeah. Um, For and, tuition and it, only. It, I mean, that's yeah. what. Uh, where I, I went to Brandeis, and I think now Brandeis is twenty seven thousand dollars a year for tuition 31 mm-hmm. something like some crazy number like that yeah. and i remember when i went there from 81 to 85 the big discussion was uh we are about to make tuition for four years of college over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars and there's there's this break there's this mental breaking point is this the point where parents are just going to say screw it you know mm-hmm. you can, we can't afford to send you to this school and of course, then the real elite schools that can get any student they want, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Harvard, partic- well, particularly Harvard. Harvard has announced that anybody who gets in and is accepted by them, we're gonna we're gonna make sure you can afford it. We're gonna pay for it for you. Well, and that's okay. because they have an endowment of an endowment, a billion yeah. dollars. You know, yeah. so yeah. at that point, that kind of education becomes just you know. The secret, uh, crazy, handshake. secret handshake, crazy money. You, you're in, you're in, and you and you go so you can say you went. And frankly, once you hit the business world, you know, if you read any article on elite hiring, mm-hmm. who gets hired in, in a recession, who is saved, you know, yep. who mm-hmm. this is this is a variant on, uh, but not a very big variant on. There's a club, and you're not in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. The, you will always. Price. I mean, I can tell you from from my own experience of having the H word, as we call it, on mm-hmm. your resume, it guarantees you an interview. Yeah. Oh, if it's, only it's, so that the boss can say, "Ah, I turned down a Harvard person for this job." You know, I turned oh. him, I turned that person down because they didn't have what I needed, and so you know I, they have bragging I was, rights. I was, you know, I was reading an article because I am unemployed um, <laughs> on on elite um, consulting firms. Yeah. And and the the uh, the Ivy Leagueiness of them all. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, part of the problem was, you know, uh, it's it's risk aversion on the part of companies. Companies yeah. want to be able to say, no matter how stupid the decision was, well, we hired this consulting firm, and they were all from elite Ivy. They were all schools. from Yale. Yeah, they were all from the Harvard. The fact they that were they all... were all idiots doesn't really matter. It's no. the fact that I have covered my ass by hiring someone with a Y or an H after their name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the way things go. And and if, you know, it, it does guarantee you an interview, it does guarantee you access, mm-hmm. you know, and it does guarantee you a membership in a very elite club. Yeah. Um, and again, but it also then buys you out of, I guess... Pouring Astroglide all over the <laughs> Fox News headquarters. I guess you're not able to do that anymore if well, you want to maintain your place in society. Well, I, and I, I don't know. I, well, is is this what's happening with with young people? You you said I, well, you can be a shit boy if you're twenty twenty to mm-hmm. twenty two, but are they too busy paying their cell phone bill? Uh, that's a really good question, which I don't have an answer for. You know? I. I I do know that that protests did not become viable yeah. until it, it involved a middle a huge middle class component. Yep. It didn't get the attention of the media until you know young white men and young boys. This is war protests. Well, and that's the other thing is there was a very personal, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being drafted makes it personal and it's going to radicalize yeah. you. So there's uh-huh. that, there is that component. To and, make and, sure we add, yeah. And revolutions are only really revolutions are made, which is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
let's be clear. We're talking about making a revolution, a, a peaceful one, mm-hmm. but you know, upending society to a certain extent and turning our values around to what they were or what they should be is based on the middle class. Yeah. You know, we only ever have rebellions in this country, as again, Tom Hartman has said, when the middle class gets pissed off, when you have a vibrant, vital middle class that's prosperous. And I have a wonderful that. example of that from my research into the um, suffragette movement. I, I, please proceed. <laughs> I, w- I had to give a talk um, at my church about religion and the suffragette movement, and I went back and looked at, you know, the process. Why did it take 70 years? You know, why did it take 100 years for women to get the vote? And one of the things that really pushed women's suffrage so that it happened in 1910 was uh, immigration. All of a sudden, non-white Catholic immigrants, men, could vote. And there was tremendous anxiety about those voters in the white Protestant middle class. (laughs) To the point nothing where ever, nothing ever changes, does no, it? No, really? and it's yeah. racism, and you yeah. don't realize. And, and and a lot of historians have mentioned that mm-hmm. the suffragette movement was incredibly racist. Just yes. just in you know the whole the whole Sojourner Truth, ain't I a woman? Speech yeah, yeah. was about that. Like screw uh-huh. you, I'm a woman too. I have I need the vote as much as you do. And African American uh, suffrage societies for women were. At the back of the parade. Mm-hmm. And southern suffragette women would not march <laughs> with them. Mm-hmm. There were some who left because I won't march with, with you know, the Negras. And you just... Well, um, but who literally could not see the hypocrisy exactly, staring them in the eye. Exactly. Couldn't mm-hmm. see it or wouldn't see it. Uh-huh. And and just... It, and it really was an astonishing thing to, to find out that the, how incredibly... Racist, and also how you know when Woodrow Wilson finally woke up. And by the way, <laughs> I have to say, I have to confess that I really agree with Glenn Beck about Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, oh I gotta agree. I, I agree bastard. with Glenn Beck. Well, uh-huh. yeah, I hate that Glenn Beck. Always, <laughs> I hate that guy. The reason Glenn Beck hates him is because he he actually adopted the word progressive. Uh-huh. And so if you if you you know say progressive. I hate that guy because he was progressive. He wasn't progressive at all. He, oh. he stopped. He, he refused to recognize the right of women to vote for until he had, you know, until they set fire to him and said, every every woman who can vote in the West is going to vote against your party uh-huh. until you until you give it up. And fi- finally, he was like, all right, all right, we're going to leave it up to the states. And then they they met that hurdle, and there was nothing they could do. Yes, but he, he kept us out of war, blue gal. Uh, he kept us out of war. Well, he also refused <laughs> to call for a ban on lynching. Uh-huh. The NAACP was founded during the Progressive Era uh-huh. and asked him, look, look what's happening. Hey, Mr. President. Hey, Mr. President, please? there's lynching going on. We're not even asking for uh, anything more than that. Just no. how about not murdering some? How about of our not citizens? murdering people on the street? You know. Well, I and, really well, and that. that's the thing that you don't realize about Woodrow Wilson is what Woodrow Wilson portray, is portrayed in history as president of Princeton. You know, that's was you know the leader of the Progressive Era, president of Princeton, elite, elite, elite. Uh huh. But he was a Southerner. Yeah. 
He was born in oh. Virginia. From uh, you know, he his parents were he was a Scotch Irish son of a minister, born in Virginia. I hate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I totally get it. And you know, he did he did a lot of good in terms of you know labor laws and so forth and so forth, but. He, he yeah. didn't help. He didn't help the cause of the working man, and he didn't help the uh, he didn't help the cause of women's suffrage, and he didn't help the cause of race at all. Well, and so, uh, again, the, the the things the things that move society forward usually forward. happen during a period of middle class exactly. relative middle prosperity. class ang- yeah, and and revolution happens during a time of middle class anxiety. Exactly, and that's what. Uh, which which we're in now. We're in we're, we're in big time. We're in big time, and and of course you know one uh, now. It, it irritates me so much that that pundits are saying, you know, well, Barack Obama's big problem was he didn't work on jobs; he worked on health care, yep, and <laughs> he had to work on health care because uh-huh. that well, that if he was, can you imagine if he was doing that now? Can you yeah. imagine well, if that wasn't ha- behind us? First of all, yeah, the, the watered down, you know, watered down, bargained away, whittled down, yeah. to something embarrassing, but you know, necessary thing that we got. We would never have even got that if we're trying it now. And secondly. The ARRA, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, the the big bulky stimulus thingy of which that has wasn't a million big enough, parts, no, yeah. which is nowhere near big enough, happened before healthcare. Yeah, and that That's was done. That was done. The, 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 the stimulus, the recovery thing, all all took place before the healthcare yeah, debate. Yeah. He worked on jobs before healthcare. The the changes that were being put forward by Barack Obama were big and consequential, and uh, there's no way that you know we could have done healthcare at all at any less. other time. Really, at, at any, any other time. time. Yeah. And and I I'm st- I'm struck by and this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I, I'm struck by how um, what happened to the '60s protesters. Yeah. You know, they didn't have to become outlaws. Yeah, um, a lot of them became tenured professors yes, at the University exactly, of Chicago. Exactly. A lot of them started businesses. Exactly. Of, there was the room. Biggest, there was room in the economy. Exactly. The, the head of the biggest radicals. PR firm in yeah. Chicago, one of the one of the biggest PR firms, political PR firms in Chicago, was a '60s radical. Yeah. She wears fur coats now and drives very big limousines. Mm-hmm. There was room in the economy, but yep. if if it's be, the, but the problem has become. Staying in the middle class has become so precarious. Yep. The entree to the middle class has become so high, and the consequences to even little mistakes have become so huge yeah. that you almost have to become an outlaw, be willing to become an outlaw to change society. And an outlaw these days simply means being willing to go to jail for what you believe. If we and if we do another hour on generational politics today, I'm going to die. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's call it there, shall we, Luca? Let's call it there. We want to thank our listeners. You guys yeah. send great emails, and we want to give you our email address again. It's proleftpodcast at gmail.com. We mm-hmm. love hearing from our listeners, and we respond when we can, as quickly as we can. We're really glad to have an exchange with you on email. Feel free to write us. We have a website. And, oh, we want to let people know about our bonus podcast this week. Yes, we have a yes, we do. bonus podcast on our website. You want to tell them about that, Drift Glass? I would be happy to. We have a bonus podcast uh, on our website that's coming up as soon as Blue Gal does all the heavy lifting of making <laughs> me sound good and making – she always sounds It will good. be up. If you're, if you're listening to this, it's, it's on our, our website right now. And it's going to be strictly local politics. Um, the, uh, was there something the, uh, that happened in local politics in Chicago this week, Driftglass? Why, yes, there was, Blue Gal. Um, <laughs> the the, the uh, maximum mayor for life, Richard Daly, uh, has announced that he's not running, he's not, will not be seeking re-election. And a huge hole has opened up in the political firmament of Chicago. In any other city, it would just be another thing. 
but Chicago is really the sort of the beating heart of the Midwest liberalism. Yes, it it's is. where the president's from. It's where the chief of staff is from. And, you know, the front porch of American politics and really, in a sense, certain sense, global politics is is right now in Chicago. And the the and so is Driftglass, by the way. By the way, yes. And when I run for mayor, <laughs> um, but what what I do, what we did on the, on the podcast was we we talked about the consequences of that, the the local political consequences and sort of the national political consequences. Right, Who's, right. Who might run for office? What what's their backstory? How to understand how politics works in essentially a one party state, which is the way it works here. And you know when people talk about the Chicago way, mm-hmm. the idea of dead voters voting that doesn't happen anymore. The idea of you know wards being held back until the guy on the fifth floor decides if he needs those votes or not that doesn't happen anymore. But the machine is still here; it's still running smoothly, and we talk a lot about how it manifests itself in the 21st century. And it's a fascinating podcast. I highly recommend it. You can listen to that podcast at our website. It is professionalleft.blogspot.com. You can also catch it on iTunes, and uh, it's a fascinating 45 minutes of political discussion about Chicago. So <laughs> it's insider stuff, inside ins- yeah. baseball. Yeah, well, For you sure. are inside, so yeah, it, well, it makes true. sense. You've got a, a good perspective there because you've lived in the city for a while and uh, know know right. the components and have your ear to the ground, so to speak. And, so and know some of the people and know so. some of the people, some of the people out there. So the yes, mayor, are you going to miss the mayor? Um, I'm going to miss uh, photoshopping the mayor. <laughs> He's very photoshoppable. Uh, on our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, there's also an opportunity for you to contribute financially to our efforts. We thank you for your financial contributions. We appreciate it very much. And uh, how are the Internet Kitties doing on this podcast day? The Internet Kitties are making tie-dye, <laughs> putting together protest signs, yeah. and looking at the door going, come on, man, let's take it to the streets. podcast is produced under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2010, Driftglass Blue Gal Podcast.